Welcome to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast. I take the sting out of divorce. This is your host, Emily Sanchez. Hello, hello. I am so excited about today. I just finished the best book. I don't know why I'm singing, but (laughs) it's because the book I just read was so awesome and it's really already helping me with my kids. It is called Transforming the Difficult Child, the Nurtured Heart Approach by Howard Glasser and Jennifer Easley. My sister told me to get this book when I called her about one of my kids, just kind of not knowing what to do. Um, I consider her a really, really smart parent and she reads all the best books and... (laughs) But I've read a lot of different books from Howard Glasser. I really like his type of therapy because it's more holistic. And as a life coach, I just appreciate that. And I really enjoyed what he said. Now, keep in mind, I actually don't have difficult children. You do not have to do this approach only if you have a difficult or challenging child. It is for everyone believe me. And yes, I work mostly with the single moms, single dads, but this is seriously for everybody. I hope everyone, I hope this can spread the nurtured heart approach. If it could be used in schools and we'll get to that, the children will just benefit. And so I really have been inspired by the book. So I decided to talk about the book (laughs) and give you a summary of what it says. So if you don't have time, you can listen to the podcast and be pretty much good. But the thing about the book that was so cool though, is it gave you distinct scenarios and things to say. Because when you start using the approach, you feel a little bit like you're pulling out of a hat. And so When you have the ideas right there in the book, spoken for you, kind of, then you can practice it and it's easier. And they have other things in there too that I will get to. But the first few chapters are all about how we are our child's favorite toy. And what they mean by that is our animations, our reactions, you know, the bells and whistles, so to speak, cause effects in our children. A positive or negative outbursts from us are processed within them as attention. Hey, you know, it's like, I got the toy to do something, even if it's negative. Something registers in their brain that they want that attention again. And the first few chapters really go into the science of it. So don't skip out on those. It's really important to read through the psychology and how the little child's brain works and why they repeat it and why you can get sucked in. You know, when, and I am so guilty of this, is having those outbursts or those, the bad reactions to their bad behavior just because I get so fed up, but it really is only rewarding them psychologically, internally, and they will repeat it. So they suggest to begin by trying to notice all the good and then trying not to give any attention to the bad. You're going to hear this repeated throughout the book. 
but this is how we start. So when they are doing something good, productive, kind, etc., try to have a big reaction to it. And you will notice this is difficult. You know, our reactions are upside down, inside out. Let's admit it. At least I am admitting to myself. My reactions are when they mess up. My reactions are blowing up over some crazy mistake or, or something. And so trying to just do this first step, this first noticing was very difficult. And knowing that I am my child's favorite toy, I really tried to have my reactions really big for the good. So one thing it suggests is pointing things out when they're not even, I mean, when it's not even that great of a deal. Let's say they're all watching TV together. You walk into the room and you say and act, you know, because you're that toy, remember? And you say, oh my goodness, and you kind of wave your hands. Look at you guys all sitting there getting along. Oh my gosh, I love seeing this. It's so cool how you guys can respect each other enough and decided on this channel to watch or whatever. We can start those the small things by just looking at the good and even making it up. All right, so then it goes into the actual steps of the nurtured heart approach. And step one is called Kodak Moments. So the Kodak moment is a lot like, you know, a Kodak picture. You want to paint a picture verbally of what the child is doing. And it doesn't have to be something great. In fact, it doesn't even have to be the positive. It doesn't even have to be the good. You just see them. You just notice them. Um, many people go to therapists due to feeling they must please their parents, you know, that they, that they were never good enough. And so this is a really cool thing to just notice everything so that that type of feeling like you weren't good enough can't exist. So here's some examples of what they mean. You could say, oh, I noticed that you took that shot after you missed that basketball shot. You were frustrated. Or, oh, I noticed you colored that picture. You used red up here and blue down here. Oh, I noticed that you did your homework right after school and that you were kind of frustrated about it. Hey, I noticed that you ate all your food tonight. Hey, I noticed that you got up and you had a smile on your face. So those types of noticing, like they don't have to be good or bad. And guess what? The child just registers that you see them. I love that. I love that. You see them. And even in your verbalizations, you can say, I see you do this. I notice you. I notice that you do these things. And that helps you get started in the right directions with the steps because it does take practice. It's just like you have to talk a little bit more. <laughs> but after all is said and done, um, they the authors illustrate that you will spend much less time talking about the bad stuff, talking about, you know, having the sit down talks and all those unnecessary things. You actually spend less time parenting when you're just doing it throughout your day. Does that make sense?
Okay, set, step two is experiential recognition. So we typically attempt to give a lesson on responsibility or self-control when the child is doing the opposite. Like I just said, we want to have a sit-down talk about something they did wrong. Oh, let's sit down and talk about it. So the problem with doing this is we end up rewarding the bad behavior with our five minutes of energy-filled teaching moments, you know, or our reactions. And the child truly psychologically takes this experience as a win. We have to imagine the teaching moment as they are exhibiting the good behavior. That's where those teaching moments come in. And so the experiential uh, recognition is just this. So you start with that Kodak moment where you're just noticing and then you add on the good virtues of characteristics they exhibit and how you value or are impressed by those things. So for example, you could say, I, back to the basketball example, I noticed you made that shot and you were really frustrated. I just have to hand it to you that you controlled yourself. You could have acted out. You could have screamed or you could have come stomping in. But I just value that you had enough self-control not to do that. So do you see how you add kind of your value and the characteristics they're exhibiting? Or I noticed you did your homework after school. That shows a big responsibility of doing that right after school. So they talk about how it could be hard in the beginning to do this. But to think about when they are acting out and how that makes us feel so we can appreciate the moments they aren't to fuel us with energy to offer up these statements. So they say, use that as fuel. Think about <laughs> how things are when they are acting out and how much you do not like that. So you are going to use that energy to keep up trying, keep up with these, these statements, okay? So each step is kind of like an add-on from the net, you know, from the previous one. So step three is called proactive recognition. In this chapter, they explained why a lot of traditional rules in schools, especially, are very difficult for the difficult child to understand. Uh, they start out by saying, you know, we see those rules in school posted. They say, be courteous, be respectful, uh, be courageous, um, things like that. And, and sometimes that's really hard to get to understand for any child. And so they end up pushing the limits of those rules, uh, which can lead to more vast behavioral issues. So the authors put together a group of of kids that were coming to their clinics who were a little bit more challenging and they just asked them do you guys understand what be courteous be respectful you know things like that and they to didn't get it they totally didn't get it and so they asked them what would you list as good rules so they would come up with really good clear-cut rules like don't hit don't scream don't steal don't touch, you know, things like that. And it seems to be a much better fit because it's easier to understand, first of all. Um, but a lot of administrators and teachers in school, they want to avoid the don'ts because of the negative context. 
that somewhere along the line, you know, they were instructed that don't say don't in front of their directives. And I even remember reading that in a few books when my kids were little. So I tried not to say don't, but he says it's perfectly fine when you're proactively recognizing when the rules aren't being broken. So just saying don't hit, don't touch, don't this, don't that, it's just more clear for the younger child and also for the challenging child. So, and so the proactive side of it is noticing when rules are not being broken and you bring it to their attention. And what it does, it takes the rules of being the bad guy out of the equation. And it actually makes the rules a good thing because, you know, you keep proactively recognizing that they are not breaking the rule and you're bringing it to attention. So if you have clear cut rules in your house and you can say, oh, I noticed that you got a little bit upset, but I just want to recognize that you did not hit your sister or you did not, you obeyed the rules. Look how good you are at obeying rules. <laughs> and then you can go on with that experiential recognition. I value that you adhere to rules, that you follow them and that you know that they're important because you're respecting your sister or, or whatever. So they suggest to try to use this 10 times a day and you stay calm and neutral, calm and neutral especially when they're acting out because they'll test you. And they made an interesting point. They compared video games to how the challenging child, many children either with autism or with ADHD or other um, intense type characteristics really love video games because there are clear consequences, but there is a neutrality in video games. You know, if they get off course, if they break a rule, it's just a small little consequence. It's like, okay, you have to wait, you know, or you have to get off course. You can't get back on the track. And um, then there's like this point system for doing well. And they are really, really good at video games, at figuring them out. But nobody is freaking out, you know, when you break a rule. So they make that, that point of video games. And in this step of the proactive recognition, they say to be ruthlessly opportunistic. So <laughs> they even point out, so you just want to take every opportunity, especially at first when you are trying to revamp your parenting style. You just tell them everything they're doing right, everything that all the rules they are not breaking in that moment. And if you have a really difficult child and this is hard, they say to recognize it right before they seem to be wanting to break a rule. So it's kind of like you see that he is about to hit his sister and you can say, oh, wow, Jimmy, I noticed that you are exhibiting great self-control by not hitting your sister, even if you want to. That's amazing to do that actually. You know, so they're just saying to try to do that before breaking a rule. Okay, step four, going after the proactive recognition. So proactive recognition, again, just re recounting is recognizing they're not breaking rules. And then four is creative 
recognition. So the authors liken this to cheering along a child who's entered a very long race. So let's say there's like this seven mile race that would be super hard for any child. And they just say and make the point that you don't just cheer for them at the end of the race. Reinforcement needs to be throughout at the beginning. Good start, you know, at the middle. Oh, look how wonderful. Look how far you've come. Um, and at the end, all along, they need that reinforcement. And another analogy they used was a baby's first steps. You know, we cheer and react to the steps taken, not to the ones they haven't. You don't hear a parent saying, oh, good job, baby. Those two steps you took were super great, but uh, you could have done 10 more. Okay, baby? You know, no. We don't hear that. We just hear, oh my gosh, look how amazing their first step is. So I really like that analogy of just cheering them on and giving them that recognition for what has been done. And that's super vital in their psyche. Now, a sub-step within this creative recognition is to have clear requests. All right? So... They compare the clear requests, such as, I need you to go clean your room now. That is very clear. To the polite, traditional, you know, we don't want to offend our kids. We want them to like us. So we offer these sweet little questions like, hey, when you get a chance, could you please uh, take out the trash or, or whatever? But what this does is it waters down your parenting authority. And children actually appreciate and like and need the clearness of the commands and what they're supposed to do. It will help them follow through and actually do it. So I need you to is a good one. Please do this and then add a now or a time. So be very, very clear. And then use the positive recognition of what's been done so far. And then encourage the completion. So for example... I would say, Tommy, I need you to put your toys away right now. And he stomps over. He doesn't want to do it or whatever. I could even say, oh, look how good you are. You're, you're obeying me. You're already walking over there. Look, you put the first toy in. Way to go, buddy. I know you have the skills to complete it. You're, you're so good at that. You know, so it's just kind of having that creative recognition throughout the entire project or whatever you're asking your kids to do or whatever they're supposed to be doing. It just says start getting creative. They had a funny story with some parents that came into their office and the dad was really discouraged because they felt like they had done everything and he felt like I can never do this. Like he is not going to do anything I say. So he started putting in his positive recognitions, you know, his experiential recognitions, when he saw the child closing the car door. He didn't say anything until he was in the act of closing the door. And he was like, oh my goodness, I see that you closed the door. Thank you so much for doing that. It shows that you want to be safe. So he was trying to be really creative. And he said that it worked started working. So you have to pull these out of nowhere sometimes, especially for that, the you know, the extra difficult child that may not be used to the attention in the positive side. 
of things. So now they finally get to consequences. They didn't want to talk about consequences too early. They wanted to set the stage of these recognitions. And when you read the book, you'll understand a little bit more why. When they talk about consequences, they also talk about it as timeouts. But they said for the timeouts to be effective, the time in, the time ins have to be valuable. And that's what all these previous steps have been about, is to how joyous and complimentary and just full of those positive recognitions can we be when we're just being, when we're having our time ins. And I thought that was a really, really great point because if the time ins are no good, then who cares if they get a timeout? Who cares? You know, they're like, this is boring. I don't get any attention. I'm only getting attention when I get a timeout or whatever. So it has to be reversed for them to work. And they have to be super clear and concise going along with those clear and concise rules. And where the consequence is given, there is no energy given to it. They even advise you that if this is difficult for you, that you need to pretend you're an actor or an actress. <laughs> I like that because sometimes we have to go there, right? And to not let your child see any of your frustrations. That if you need to go into a room by yourself and like, I don't know, hit a towel against the bed or something and then come out acting like nothing's wrong, <laughs> do it because this is of vital importance. So let me explain what their consequence is. They liken it to a speeding ticket analogy. The analogy being this person is in the neighborhood. They are not used to looking at the speedometer. All of a sudden the speed limit changes and the policeman <laughs> pulls them over, doesn't say anything and just gives them a ticket here you go. And the ticket is not, there's no warning. Okay. So that's a big one. No warnings in these consequences ever. That's hard for me. So the person's given the ticket and they see the price isn't that high. So they just put it on their, their other seat and they go along their way. Then the next day they make the same mistake and they get a ticket. And then the next day they make the same mistake and they get a ticket. They put it on and it starts mounting. And they were just saying that eventually, you know, the policeman does not let up. There are never any rewards or energy given for, you know, if they're mad that you're speeding or whatever, they just give you the ticket. So no warnings. And then finally, the child is just kind of worn out with that and realizes that the energy is in the time ends. The energy is in living and having the attention of parents. So how they explain their timeouts is they call it a reset. And they just notice that this verbiage for some reason works out better. So they call it a reset. A reset is like a timeout. So if a rule is broken, the parent says, um, that is a reset. The rule was broken without any energy or any frustration without any warning. Then you have the child do their timeout or reset right there. 
You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to have a timeout circle or a timeout chair. You don't have to take them to their room. You don't have to take them to another room. I mean, this eliminates a lot of what is difficult about timeouts, in my opinion, and why I've kind of stopped doing them because dragging your child when they don't want to do it is a, a huge battle, a huge battle, and it just um, ups the frustration. So they say to have like a family meeting when you are first introducing this and to actually role play the resets. And that the reset means that the child will stop doing the bad behavior. So if they're hitting the sister, you say, you know, Tommy, you're hitting your sister. That is a reset. You can start your reset whenever you calm down and, and go for it. And so they uh, stop the behavior. They quiet down if they're screaming or yelling. The reset only begins when they have calmed down. And then you just let a duration of time go by. It's not one minute per age. It's not like that because what they suggest and, you know, they prove scientifically and psychologically that we want to make this no big deal so they can be back in the game. You know, it's like stepping out of bounds in basketball. When you do that, guess what happens? It's just a turnover. The other team gets the basketball. It's like, okay, that happened. I did that. And then the game resumes super quickly, doesn't it? So I like that analogy as well. Because, and that's like the video games too. When they do something wrong, it's a reset, boom. Then you're back in the game. Because we want our kids to have that positive more. So we give no attention to that. And they say they're going to try you, they're going to test you, they could stomp away, um, and you give them absolutely no attention. You can choose to not even speak to them. No requests that they have, you know, for you. Can I have this? Can I have that? You're not supposed to answer any requests. Basically, it, it seems as though, like, you're not talking to them. And so you have to be careful because my natural inclination is helping my children calm down. Like, I'll be like, calm down, calm down, calm down. You know, me and my husband will do, will do the calm down thing. But they say, try really hard to avoid doing anything because they are allowed to break the rule. They are allowed to have their emotions. They are allowed to demonstrate that. And we need to get out of the way and not be a factor and allow them to control themselves, to monitor that control and to choose when they start the reset. So if they have, if they stomped off and they didn't do the reset and then they come back, and they start talking to you, you can say, well, I haven't seen the reset happen yet. As soon as that happens, um, then we can move forward with me answering your questions. So they just say, you have to be, you have to be firm in this. And when you do, it works. They say it's like magic. And so role-playing is crucial, I think, to get them to practice and to know uh, what you're doing. And he also mentions no disobeying should be a rule. So if they do, it's a reset. Then after they do the reset, they need to follow through on what you asked them to do in the first place. Does that make sense? So if you said take out the trash and they screamed at you and said, I'm not going to take the trash out or, or whatever, you can say, okay, that is a reset. And so after they're done with the reset, they still need to follow through and take out the trash. And then they also suggest for the older children or even, you know, sometimes younger for bigger infractions, like if there's damage to property or if there's like something very serious 
that happens to have community service as a consequence. And that could be a myriad of different things, but, you know, working on a community project, uh, visiting an assisted living center, um, even something in your house that you're working on, kind of putting them to work, um, they say is a really good uh, consequence for, for larger infractions. But the resets work for the older kids too. They do. And um, he says you have to really stick to your guns. Like it has to be the rule, even if they barely broke it. And pretty soon they will know exactly what the rules are. You don't have to go over them and they will get it. So that was step five, the consequences. Now they talk in the next chapter about extending the success um, that you're having with this nurtured heart approach to school to the schools and communicate with the teacher. Most teachers are awesome. You want to sit down and you want to communicate with them. Tell them what works for your child, especially if your child has a little bit more challenging time at school. And then they also suggest something that I thought was super beneficial is a note of communication to be used every day. And it's actually a note that you come up with. And in the book, they give you samples that are very good. So in the note, you'll see things like rules that maybe they need to work on and also rules they're good at. So on one side you put, don't hit, don't back talk, don't scream, um, then keep your hands to yourself, you know, those type of things. And then, on the other side, you have poor, fair, good, and excellent. And then you reward or do resets according to if there was a poor one, and then the reward according to the excellent one. Okay, so I like that. Just the communication with the teachers. Um, the next chapter, it goes into tougher situations. It talks about children who've witnessed domestic violence, um, and they say they tend to really test the waters and um, a behavior that you will see is that they act out physical violence that they've witnessed. So they especially, especially need structure. They need tighter structure. They need clearer consequences. They are testing you. They want you to follow through. They want you to be firm because they need that. Their self-confidence will grow when they can have that trust in the structure and what you're going to do. And the self-confidence also is fostered in even more recognition that you give them. You just pour on every rule that they're followed. When they're just sitting there, you can think of things to say. Um, so basically that chapter was about buckling down and just pouring on more, being even more creative, more proactive, more positive, and even clearer rules and consequences, which makes total sense, doesn't it? And the next chapter goes into the energy challenge child, and they say the exact same thing, that you have to do even more with this approach. Um, they talk about the emotions of the energy challenge child. The emotions are so up and down and a lot of therapists are not approaching this in the way <laughs> that would work for them. They approach things conventionally with bringing up the emotions, bringing up the problems, 
and especially um, Howard Glasser, he just talked about the detriment that this can do and have effect on kids that have those problems. So what they need is the empowerment. What they need is that positive reinforcement coming at them so that they aren't dwelling and focusing on the emotions, but that they know that emotions are powerful and useful and that's okay. And he also says, you know, sometimes people will come to his office, one parent will be totally into it and totally, uh, you know, adaptive and wanting to do the everything he says. And then there's the other parent who's skeptical that goes to one meeting and then doesn't do it again and just doesn't want to put forth the energy. So he says there's an, a ripple effect when one parent starts this nurtured heart approach. It gives empowerment to them. And then the other parent, the other parent sees what's happening. So there becomes this ripple effect that they just automatically start doing. And he says this also can aid in depression with the parents, not just with the children. But a lot of depression, he says, stems off of you feeling you're not a good parent or you're seeing your child, you know, diminish with whatever may be happening in school, or you're getting negative feedback. He says this can really, really help with your own personal depression if you give it a try, especially if you use it on yourself. Think about it. We could use our own positive recognition for every little thing we do, right? And then um, the next chapter deals with ADHD. I love what he says here because he first starts by illustrating that we all have a form of it. We all have attention def deficit from time to time. Things just take our attention. And I, I just loved how he, he shared that. And then he says that to fully get the, you know, ADHD diagnosis and for it to be accurate, you have to be monitored for over six months. And the problem is a lot of people deeming our children to be ADHD or ADD are teachers or school nurses or administrators who are not equipped to give those type of diagnoses. And he's like, even some therapists, they, they will get it wrong. So they conducted this really cool study within their practice of hundreds of cases. And I think he said there were 200 um, of cases with ADHD. So they put them through the two to three month nurtured heart approach and after that, only 6% needed to be referred to a physician for evaluation to see if medication was even warranted. Now, keep in mind, all of them were on medication when they came in to see him. You know, these were parents who were kind of at their wits end, that they, they've been told this is what they need to do. And so he started out with, you know, very extreme cases of the ADHD. So only 6% were referred to the physician to see if they needed medication. And from that, only 3% were recommended meds. And then he went on to state that even since the revision of the book, he feels now that none needed meds. That this holistic approach, it sees that extra intensity as a positive thing, not something to be treated that's a bad thing. Of course, he goes into the side effects of ADHD drugs, the mental, the physical. He just, and he doesn't buy into it being a brain disorder. And so it, it was just a, a really cool chapter to read. If you have a child who seems very, very intense and exhibits those type of qualities, it would be really, really great, great information for you.
All right, the next one. Let's see. And yeah, okay, I'm almost done, guys. Don't worry. You don't want to miss out. This is good. <laughs> the chapter was entitled Greatness. Okay, so going back to those steps, going back to the Kodak moment, and then the, you know, the recognitions and, and all those things that we do, we attach greatness to the end of what we're saying. And what he means by that, it works like this email attachment. So you do the usual recognitions and notice and attach on a message of their greatness. And so, for example, you could use the, hey, I noticed that you use self-control when you really kind of wanted to scream or shout out or act out at your sister after she did something to you. But I noticed that you exhibited self-control. Do you know what that says about you? That shows that you have a greatness in you of self-control or whatever. And he points out that they will feel it at a heartfelt soulful level. And then he's like, you can even ask others in the room. You can say, you know, point out to them, what does this say about his greatness that he did this? And they can give, you know, suggestions. Oh, it shows that he has this power. It shows that he has a, a great control. And so why add on this greatness chapter? And he says, because you will reach your child's soul and quicken their spirit. They will develop even more of the esteem of how great they truly are and what they can offer to the world. So why not, right? And then in the final words, uh, the authors just say to choose life, choose your time ends, noticing what you see unfolding and ignoring and not giving energy to the problems. Paint the pictures of all the positive. Use the nurtured heart approach also for yourself. And this is what I really loved. So for you, be detailed in the good things you do. Then reset quickly. You know, when you've let something drop the ball or whatever it is, then get back to your glorious time ends. So as you reward too, reward yourself with greatness. Give yourself those compliments. You will automatically want to do it again and again. How often do people hear they're great? Uh, not very often. So it's time for you to recognize and tell yourself about your own true greatness as well. Oh, I love that. Don't you love it? Oh my gosh. And then they have a whole appendix with information on if you want to do a credit system. They say it's, you don't have to. Nurtured Heart Approach works good with or without, but the credit system is really cool and it gives you a lot of feedback, you know, points earned, whatever. They can turn it in for money. They can turn it in for activities. They can do all these things. So that was a really cool addition to the book. But going back on greatness, hey, you are great. <laughs> you are. You're great for listening through this whole podcast. I love this book. I feel like it has transformed me as a parent. It's already improving my own attitude, even, about parenting. So it's having an effect on me. But my kids, they all seem to be collaborating better. I love that. So I hope this can help you. Let me know if you have any questions. And make it a great one. Make it what you want. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. Come on over and visit me at CoachEmilySanchez.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, make it a great day.